0: I uh, was at my son's school last night, uh-huh. and one of the things that they teach in library is digital professionalism. And I thought about offering like, hey, I'll
1: come talk to the fifth and sixth graders, but then I thought, who wants that? You would be a good teacher, Reed. You would not only teach them very interesting and, and informative topics, you would have a great number of Southern colloquialisms that would that would spice up the presentation.
0: She was madder than a wet hen. I'm so poor I couldn't jump over a nickel to save a dime. Here, let me let me, try, let me try a few. Well, aren't you a little ray of pitch black? He's about as useful as a steering wheel on a mule. He's so dumb he could throw himself on the ground and miss. In, in, in Texas, does it sometimes get hotter than a $2 pistol? The porch light's on, but nobody's home. In the South, sushi is called bait will butter my butt and call me a biscuit.
1: Now we're cooking with gas. Welcome to Touchpoint, a podcast dedicated to discussions on digital marketing and digital patient engagement strategies for hospitals, health systems, and physician practices. In this podcast, we'll dive deep into a variety of topics on the digital tools, solutions, strategies, and processes that are impacting our industry today. We hope to share a lot of great information and have a little fun along the way. I am always joined by my co host, Reed Smith. Reed is a digital marketing expert, um, social media strategist, and he works with hospitals and health systems across the country on a variety of digital and social media strategies. You can find him online through his handle, Reed Smith, on Twitter. He's also on Instagram, on, uh, on LinkedIn. You can find him by name. And his website is socialhealthinstitute.com. Reed, welcome to the podcast. As always, I am here <laughs> each and every week, at least to this
0: point, right? So uh, that is Chris Boyer that you just heard from, and you can track him down online at ChristopherBoyer.com or at Chris Boyer on most of the uh, popular social media channels that all the kids use. And uh, if you can't find him or find us online, um, you're not trying very hard. So uh, Chris and I both uh, spend our days and weeks working with hospitals and health systems around strategy. This episode of Touchpoint is brought to you by one of our sponsors, Transparently.
1: Transparently is the nation's fastest growing platform for gathering and publishing physician star ratings and reviews. You could visit transparently.com to learn why the country's most innovative health systems are choosing them to power a better digital patient experience. Again, to learn more, visit them online at transparently.com.
0: So today we want to talk a little bit about this this episode's going to be a little bit different than what we historically do. Mm-hmm. As we record this, as the airwaves transmit, <laughs> Chris, you were in Cleveland. Last week, That's right. The end of last week. So the end of the first
1: week of September, so the 7th and 8th. Mm-hmm. Um, and you were in Cleveland doing what? Well, um, Cleveland was hosting the annual Content Marketing World Conference. It was Content Marketing World 2017, a huge conference that brings in over 4,000 people around multiple industries talking about content and uh, content marketing and all the variety of topics that kind of circulate around mm-hmm. that. And then on the tail end of that, on the Friday, Cleveland Clinic themselves hosted a very specific Cleveland Clinic Health Summit, which was a day dedicated to content marketing and digital and healthcare. And on that last day, I was actually uh, hosting a panel session with a couple of our friends and uh, experts in the industry. And so most of today's podcast is going to be actually a rebroadcast of that panel session because I got to record it. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. That is awesome. I look forward to uh, digging into that a little bit further
0: as I can probably learn quite a bit since they are people that actually do this stuff on a daily basis. So, <laughs> that'll be fun. But I know you had a couple of uh, some takeaways uh, from Content Marketing World. And so, you know, maybe we can recap a little bit of that sure. uh, before we jump into the recording of the panel.
1: Mm-hmm. Content Marketing World attracts a lot of great people that are leaders in the space of content marketing and when you listen to some of the the keynote speeches or panel takeaways that were there, there's a lot of great things that were coming out of that. And I tell you, if you ever go, you know, you're in a data, just like every conference, you're in a data with good content. Sure. But four major takeaways that I either experienced myself directly or heard from others, I wanna kinda of jump into it. One of the first ones was a keynote session that was done by Joe. Polizzi. Do you know who Joe Polizzi is? The name sounds all too familiar. Why, why do I know who that is? Because he's the founder of Content Marketing World. And also he created the Content Marketing Institute, and he's also a podcast host. I feel like
0: I got set up on that one.
1: You kind of did. That's all right. But, I, <laughs> but anyway, he actually kicked off the conference, and he did a really great session. Now, I wasn't there for that, but a lot of people have been writing about it. And one of the big things that his point was, content marketing, while it's big and, and hip and everyone wants to do it, you have to start first by building a good, engaged audience before you can actually engage in really good content marketing. That kind of makes sense, doesn't it? It does. So you have to actually have
0: people to do stuff before you ask people to do stuff. Exactly. <laughs> that would seem to be logical. However, that goes against probably what we do on the advertising side of the equation or the paid side of the equation in a lot of cases where you know mm-hmm. we're running ads, asking for action. Uh, without building the audience first mm-hmm. and not that you have to have an audience uh, especially on the paid side you know that's kind of the point of advertising uh, to some degree but I know as we look at the effectiveness of advertising and the engagement and then as we've talked about in weeks past stuff relative to like internal communications advocacy building yeah
1: you know, things like that obviously it would make sense that building that audience first would would certainly be preferential that really gets into the di- Dynamics of building an audience and community management, and you know, understanding that you know you can you can ask them to act. And in a certain case, within uh, with us, when we do advertising around, let's say booking appointments, what will happen is we'll get a certain amount of the audience that's going to actually take that action. But not everybody's ready to take that full step, and so providing different ways for them to start to engage around your brand, to start to become more interested in your brand, you know, do all those things that you want to do around good community management. We talk about that a lot with social media. One of the second themes, Reid, that came out of it is um, there was a lot of companies that were doing B2B communications. Now, we're in healthcare. We have an interesting relationship with our audiences, but one of our audiences is a business-to-business communication. While content marketing is a certain action, it is certain, certainly you do, and you have digital to do that, and you have all these different tools, marketing automation and CRM and all these different things that you can do to get people here. Ultimately, it still goes back to we're doing marketing to connect with people. We're a human-to-human connection. And regardless of whatever your discipline mm-hmm. is, it's a human-to-human connection.
0: I don't know. That seems a little weird in in some sense. I feel like we're generalizing what we're doing or uh, you know how we're communicating. You know, we talk a lot about personas and segmentation and things like that. I understand, you know, what they're saying. However, and I guess maybe in the context of content, that does make more sense in in messaging or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, talk to other people. Don't. Yeah.
1: Sorry. I had to kind of think through that out loud. You know, and, and you, you, you struck on something really important. We do a lot of persona work, but ultimately the persona should actually lead to that individualized communication, that personal communication. So moving from a persona to a person is actually a big thing to do. And that's really what was one of the major themes here is how do you start to break through and have that direct personal communication with your audiences? A third theme really quickly, just kind of punching through these really quick, that uh, was a takeaway was about the, the fact of this model of buster content has replaced the newspaper model. And this was someone from LinkedIn, Mike Weir that said that the case for a newspaper model of publishing content has kind of played out. And what what we mean by that is, you know, where you create good content and people will follow it because you have really good content. It's very hard for businesses to create good quality content, particularly if you only have like one, one or two, maybe a handful of content marketers that are working for it. And instead, what he suggested is you really need to look at what he called the Hollywood blockbuster model where they you build around reliable franchises. You use your brand to build good interest and enthusiasm around your content. So that's kind of a corollary maybe to the first point around where you talk about you've got to build an audience, and then you can use that audience to amplify your messaging. So you're telling me that Blockbuster is a better business model than yeah. newspapers? <laughs> Is that what I'm hearing? No, like blockbuster movies, maybe, is a win. Oh, okay. right. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay, sorry. I was having a
0: hard time uh, getting behind that point there for a minute. Um, no, yeah, that, that makes sense. That makes sense. You've you got to have some sort of a hook, right? And so whether that's you know, hyper-local personalized whatever you know whatever that means to different people
1: there's got to be a reason for people to want to consume that content that's exactly right right there's got to be a reason there's got to be a purpose behind what you're doing if you just start you know you're a former journalist and you're starting to create content marketing for a hospital you're getting into a business which kind of relates to the last point I want to talk about which is we live in a world now that's inundated with content and quite frankly, it's hard to break through the mediocrity of all the content that's out there. There's only so many, you know, Taco Tuesday recipes you can put on your hospital marketing <laughs> blog, you know, on your hospital blog. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. Or, or the Meatless Mondays, you know, recipes. Everybody does that stuff. Who in the world would want to do Meatless Monday? <laughs>
0: like, what? That is the worst idea I think I've ever heard. Meatless Monday. <laughs> <laughs> that's horrible. That would never
1: happen in the South. <laughs> no, it wouldn't happen in the South. That's for sure. <laughs> but, but, but um, you know, but the point is, is that average content doesn't really make it anymore. We're we're at a point now. We have too much content. Now, what you have to do is you have to create content that's exciting, that's interesting that engages, that directly is related to what's interesting to your audience. I mean, all of these themes kind of tie together, right? It's the right creating good quality content mm-hmm. and addressing it to the audience and what your audience needs are and figuring out ways to kind of uh, you know, engage and evolve your audiences that you've already have a relationship with to amplify. That was content marketing world as a as a whole. You mentioned
0: the Cleveland Clinic did the uh, Cleveland Clinic Health Summit, mm-hmm. where you you were involved and, and led a panel, uh, moderated a panel. Um, well,
1: tell everybody a little bit about that because that's what that's what folks are actually going to hear in today's podcast. That's right. So Cleveland Clinic decided to you know bring experts in from all over the healthcare space to talk about content marketing, digital marketing. Some of it was to um, highlight some of the some of the ways that Cleveland Clinic is actually addressing content and digital and distribution, etc. And others were bringing in some experts. So the panel that we're about to hear is um, is forty minutes of a conversation that we had in front of a large audience to discuss best practices in digital for healthcare. So they they touted it as being thought leaders in the digital healthcare space, talking about you know current trends and, and challenges that are occurring in digital. So this panel session comprised of Matt Schwabel from Duke Health, Aaron Watkins, who works for Johns Hopkins, and our good old friend, Brian Gresh, who's been on this podcast This is, I guess, his third time on the podcast. We talked so much, we didn't have time for questions at the end. I indicated we're going to be broadcasting this on the podcast. So if people have questions, they can respond to us, and we'll make sure that Matt, Aaron, and or Brian will be able to address those afterwards. Yes, or I may come up with questions that people theoretically asked that I just want for my own knowledge
2: to ask them. (laughs)
1: Okay. (laughs) Well, with that, let's uh, go ahead and roll the tape.
0: Hey, Chris, before we go too much further, jump into this next segment of the podcast. I did want to uh, mention and thank uh, one of our sponsors, Influence Health. Uh, you know, they've got a consumer experience platform that, that covers several things. And correct me if I'm wrong, but we've we've talked about content management systems on this podcast. Yeah, we did. What about CRMs? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we covered CRMs for sure. And then obviously each and every week we talk about digital marketing. So digital marketing systems, uh, you know, in one way, shape or
1: form have probably been covered, right? That's right. Digital marketing systems. And I would say that we even talk about it in a way of uh, that overall digital consumer experience. Well, there you go.
0: I, you know, I would, I would recommend for anybody interested in one of those topics uh, or anything else, they've also got some complimentary solutions on their website, but but head over to their website, take a look at what they've got and what they're offering relative to CMS, CRM, digital marketing systems, kind of how all that is woven together in what they call their consumer experience platform. Find your way over to influencehealth.com.
1: Okay, welcome everyone to uh, this panel session. This is the panel session entitled Digital Marketing Thought Leaders in Healthcare. And um, we are joined today by a great panel of thought leaders from across the country. We'll let let everyone introduce themselves in a second. We're going to talk for the next 45 minutes about digital and the impact of digital in healthcare and some of the ways that we've been facing current challenges and looking forward to what the future challenges might be as well. So why don't we start with introductions? We'll start down there at the
3: very end. Matt? Sure. Hello, everyone. Uh, I'm Matt Schwabel. I'm the Senior Director for Integrated Marketing at Duke Health in Raleigh-Durham, North Carolina. Uh, and My team is really responsible for uh, consumer marketing, and we are extremely heavy
2: on the digital side. Mm -hmm. Great. Um, I'm Brian Grush. I'm the Executive Director of Digital and Content Marketing uh, here at the Cleveland Clinic. Um, and my group does content, uh, web development, we're responsible for social, and um, our PPC and lead generation campaigns. Okay. Uh, I'm Aaron
4: Watkins, uh, Senior Director of Internet Strategy at Johns Hopkins Medicine. Um, I always say that our team connects the people of the world with the people of Johns Hopkins Medicine. Um, so primarily, we're leading a content strategy uh, to share health information. Um, And my team's made up of an analytics and user experience division, the content arm, um,
1: online marketing, and then a development arm as well. Great. And I'm your panel moderator today, and I'm Chris Boyer. Uh, I am a digital strategist and principal of my own consultancy that focuses on digital marketing and digital patient experience for hospitals across the country. I've worked in two hospitals. Uh, One was Northwell Health in New York, and the other was a Nova Health System. And uh, now I help other organizations, (laughs) such as yourselves, to best practices in digital. And these guys really are thought leaders. We've, I've known all of them professionally for many years. We've been doing many different cool things. We're going to kind of dive into it. What we did is when we look at all of the digital challenges that are out there with healthcare and intersecting with content, but intersecting with all of the things that we face in, in hospitals and health systems, we, uh, we kind of started to put together a punch list of all of the challenges, some of the challenges that we're facing, some of the things that we're seeing consistently across the industry. And from there, we were able to kind of pull them into certain different types of categories. And what we want to do is kind of address. And what I'll do is moderate um, some questions to the t- to the group here. Um, I think one of the biggest challenges when we think about it, and we hear about it here at content marketing world today, we've been here talking about it a lot. We hear it at every conference that we hear that we go to. It's embracing this concept of either you know customer first, or sometimes digital first as a way that's said right. And how do we embrace that within our organizations? Because quite frankly, when you think about customer first, when you think about digital first um, and, and if those things put together, it's a little bit different. Um, it's, it's really different than the traditional service line marketing that we do where everything's a little bit more siloed, right? It's a little different in terms of how we express ourselves in the market. Um, and in our space, it's particularly different because of the complexities of the physician, communication, et cetera. So let's start with that. You know, um, and I'll just throw out this in general. Maybe, Brian, you can, you can hit it first, and then, um, and then we'll kind of let the team jump in on it. But how do you balance that demand for like, all of the things that we need to do to be con- you know, digital first, to be customer first? How do we balance that demand with sort of the day-to-day work that we do, the content edits, the website
2: edits, all of the things that we do? What are your thoughts on that? Um, well, so yeah, sometimes it feels like you're on a treadmill trying to keep up with all of that. And, and so I think um, I, I think of it in a couple of ways. One is having a structure. So I think from a content standpoint, making sure you have a content archit- architecture and, um, and the foundation in place to, um, to host that content. Um, because if that's organized, then it help, it can help influence the demands and the work that's coming in. Um, if the, if the requests don't, don't fit into that structure, then it's easier to kind of assess it and, um, and decide whether or not it's going to be relevant within the digital space. Mm
3: -hmm. Yeah, uh, I agree. And I think of it in a, in a couple of different ways. Um, one is really understanding, um, your goals as an organization. So, uh, you know, I sat in on Amanda's presentation yesterday and Cleveland's doing great work. Um, and she's been very, um, about their goals which are different than the goals that I have Um, so our approach to content is different um, and when you get these requests pouring in for why can't we be like them why don't we do that it's helpful to be able to kind of point back to your goals as an organization and say it's because their goals are different than ours and these are the the best tactics that we can take to achieve our goals Um, and then within the team Uh, I've found it very useful over the past year to really bring together the the development arm and the content arm and make sure that we're sitting down weekly Mm -hmm. and talking about what's coming and and coordinating activities so that the technology development and the content are supporting each other uh, and not getting out of sync, which has happened to us in past years. Right, right. So, Aaron, we all know how good
1: hospitals and health systems are around strategy and frameworks, Mm -hmm. right? Um, what do you what are, from in, at John Hopkins? What are, what are some of the things that you're facing today in, in that regard? Yeah. So um, when I think of my role, I think I definitely have to balance
4: really being an assertive leader in the institution and where we want to go digitally, with playing kind of a support role, especially for our faculty, um, and helping them to make better decisions. Um, you know, uh, being an AMC, it's definitely a published first mindset. Um, they like big, shiny things. They want websites to look like Cleveland Clinic, right? They want yeah. these. They always have Stanford, Cleveland Clinic, where that's what they say they want to do. Um, as I've been there um, over the last 10 years, we've gained more credibility in what we're doing, so that's helped. Um, but also, I've learned kind of how to balance um presenting data to them, like taking time for, for our faculty to identify the problems that they want to solve, mm-hmm. and to wait and then share data in a way that it's showing that, yeah, we've dealt with that problem, and here's how we've addressed it, and you might not need a giant website
1: to, yeah. to solve that problem. You know, like many years ago, I, I, I know, and you guys probably face this too, right? When you're a digital person within a health system 10 years or 5 years ago, people still thought of you as like that special digital wizard, right? You can just go do that special thing that you do. And we need to accomplish this, you go figure it out for us. But now we're becoming more, the organization is becoming more and more open to digital, and that could be for a variety of reasons. So let's pivot a little bit to talking about the organization itself, because I think we impact how the organization works, particularly when we're talking about patient experience. So, organizational readiness is is a thing that people talk about a lot, right? Um, so, when we talk about that, you know, how do we? How, how What are some tips that you guys can give, or what are some of the ways that you're addressing today's current standards? And maybe we'll start with you, Matt, around readying the organization to maybe embrace a new technology or a new content approach.
3: Sure, I feel like in marketing we're in a unique position where we are often out there. Um, kind of gauging customer need and understanding what their expectations are and their experiences are with digital beyond healthcare Um, and healthcare often has lagged behind those other industries so those expectations are often very different than what we're delivering Uh, and i think that puts us in the position of being ahead of the organization in terms of where they are from a willingness standpoint or just a a pure operational standpoint Um, so I invest a lot of my time um, with my team and our leadership uh, really kind of circulating ideas, reaching out to other groups, um, building relationships. We work today with um, groups that historically we did not work with, performance services and patient access and very closely with IT to really make sure that we're able to uh, percolate these ideas early because sometimes it takes, uh, particularly at an AMC, a considerable amount of time from hey, what if we did patient ratings? Hey, what about cost transparency calculators? To it actually being at a point where the the organization is ready and comfortable with launching that. I think technology is the easiest piece.
1: But it's so easy to stand up a website or put on, you know, Mm -hmm. Ratings or whatever, and then do, are you saying that there's a different uh, the difference between what their expectations are and what
3: rise to your results there Brian, is? And I think yeah. Brian mentioned it. Uh, it's being at the table early as opposed
2: to at the last minute. Oh, we're ready now. Go build this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I also think it's it's recognizing where not only your external users are at, but where your internal users are. And mm-hmm. so, I, I think the shift that I've seen. As I've been in healthcare, is that you know people's access to technology in healthcare organizations was originally you know always through the IT department, um, and that's completely shifted where you know everyone in the organization has access to technology now, and they're bypassing those kind of traditional paths, and so they're all experts in choosing technology and understanding, or they think they are, right, um, and so. You know, when they come with ideas, they're already using these things sometimes. And they have kind of a, uh, an idea of how you should be using it. And so I think first off, you have to listen um, and give them their time. And then you need to kind of walk through the realities of, of what they may be presenting, right? Because it's always easy on the face. But, mm-hmm. you know, when you get under the couple layers, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a much more complex problem usually.
1: Right, and and I mean, it's it's one thing to you know the traditional way where we used to like promote our organizations and our physicians and stuff. It's a lot different online, right, Aaron? I mean, now doctors are are the, I, how many times have we heard the doctors mm-hmm. saying, "Why am I not appearing on Google search results?" Right, or what have you? Yeah. So how do you how do you work with them on helping them understand and set those expectations right away?
4: Yeah, so. Um, This was actually kind of a major cause of stress for my team for a number of years where physicians didn't want to work with us. They had their own websites, right? They thought they needed to get themselves to the top of Google. Um, There's a point, especially with transparency with rating sites, right? Um, They started to get really concerned about those. Um, It enabled me to kind of change the conversation a little bit from just like, Here's content to this is about preserving your reputation mm-hmm. um, and showing that you know my team understood that and we were committed to helping their reputation too and making sure it reflected who they really were. Um, additionally, then we just had this issue of them building their own sites, and uh, I actually started putting the majority of my resources towards content acquisition, meaning that my team started Googling them and taking any information that we saw them publishing and putting it in our central profiles. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something that I presented on at a high level. It was like one slide in my strategy deck, mm-hmm. uh, but it took pe- people a while to actually right. understand what I was doing. Yeah. You know? Um, but ultimately what it led to is we kept coming up in the number one, number two, number three spot in Google. Right. And they started to look and say, Oh, I like this profile. Right. You know, and we also had any data that we could get internally. Um, those systems. And so um, through that, um, we started to get a lot more support um, for everything we are doing around reputation. Right.
1: And now, and you mentioned also transparency right now. Brian, you're like one of the first, you worked at one of the first organizations that actually published transparent the the press scores online. Talk a little bit about that, because I think that
2: not many hospitals are doing that still. You know, I... When when we first approached that, we really approached it from a very much a marketing perspective, which was an SEO perspective. Um, it, it wasn't. It, it, it didn't start as like this would be cool or this would be um, you know this would be a way to um, necessarily help the reputation of our physicians. It was simply we're losing market share, we're losing visibility in search results by these other by these other competitors being there. Um, and so it, it just seemed to make sense that we needed to compete, and we needed to come up with a with a path to to be in that space. And so, um, you know, we took a very kind of uh, a very simple approach to it, which was, how do you get those things? You know, what kind of what kind of uh, you know um, code do you have to mark up? Do you have to put on the pages to to be in that space? And then, you know, what what happened ultimately? And Aaron just kind of said this, which is. Then they recognized our team as being able to do what those other more visible companies were doing, um, and we suddenly had relevancy, and we had a lot more credibility within the organization to do other things um, in, the, in the space. So what, what that is, is I mean, that sounds to me a lot like the principles around change management, where sure.
1: you get, get some minor wins, and then you start to build the impetus, and people start to recognize you. And, that's how you get invited to the to the right meetings and like early on because i think that we still struggle with that but the thing i'm still rest, wrestling with and maybe you guys all three of you can kind of weigh in on this is that while these things are good they seem very much point solutions we talk a lot about customer journey and we know that you know the online page and is not just looking for orthopedic services, is not just looking for... I know that they do at particular points in their care, but how do we start to talk about in a more holistic sense, like, you know, that that that
2: overall patient? Any thoughts? Did I put you on the spot? I'll, Go ahead, Brian. I'll maybe try to start this off. So I, I think it goes, again, back to that architecture, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so... If, if you want to think about it holistically, you have to think about how do all these different things I'm doing connect. Um, and so, on a content level, um, you know, if you, if you step back and look kind of at content in a very technical way. Um, you know there's a taxonomy there's those categories and there's that tagging structure um, that any good site is kind of built on Um, and through that through that lens you can start to connect all of those different pieces Um, and then I think opportunities rise from that um, where you suddenly see different you know fluctuations in the data and you can start you can start bringing things together I think in a more meaningful way I agree, and I
3: think it also brings us back to those relationships and getting into areas of the organization that maybe marketing didn't play a strong role in in the past. Uh, I think an example for me is uh, MyChart up until now has really been, uh, up until recently, has really been an IT project more or less. It's, it's an IT. That's where uh, the development happens. That really, that's where the governance has been. Uh, but gaining the trust and visibility in the organization, now I sit on the MyChart Governance Council, Um, and have not just awareness of what's coming, which is a good first step, but also an ability to bring that patient voice and influence what's happening and start to work with them much more closely to consider that holistic experience from considering services to being a patient and everything in between. Because we see from surveys on dukehealth.org, people don't make a distinction in their heads between dukehealth.org and MyChart. It's one experience. It's Duke. Um, they don't care that behind the scenes there are separate systems that don't talk to each other today. Right. Okay, well, so now we're expanding the definition of digital marketing,
1: right? Because now we're becoming digital patient experience, and I know, Brian, you and I have talked about this often, about this, this concept of patient experience through online, but that means now that we're starting to run into other technologies that we have to integrate with. You mentioned Epic, MyChart is one. Well, and, and and how do you feel, Aaron? Let's talk. Let's talk to you. I mean, there's there's a variety of outside tools, processes, technologies that we have to start to integrate with now if we're really going to provide that overarching experience. Right. So, what are some of the challenges you're you're seeing there in that space? Um, I think it's changing how we approach content um, and how we think about um, our patients
4: and, and consumers in general. Um, you know, example, we're actually pretty new to crm technology um, at hopkins and um, we had a pretty kind of standardized approach into what kinds of content elements we would create and where we would put them on the website to create an experience but now as we're trying to create these patient journeys we're learning that you know, someone researching a brain tumor is very different from someone, um, you know, looking at the orthopedic surgery, right? And mm-hmm. how quickly you have to move and what the touch points might be. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's made, it's increased the need for us to be nimble, yeah. and when we interact uh, in each of those kinds of mm-hmm. efforts. Mm-hmm.
1: And you know, there's there's multiple s- tools systems we talked about. FA, we could probably do a whole panel on the challenges with Epic, right? intervening with Epic. Yeah, I don't think we have enough time. Yeah, right? let's not talk about Epic. <laughs> well, but I, I think that, you know, I think that that really speaks to the fact that we as digital marketers, we bring a different level of what that digital experience could look like. And that does impact these tools
2: that maybe don't, right? Yeah. Uh, I, I, I take it back. Let's talk about Epic for a second. <laughs> and, and just from this perspective, which is, um, you know, I didn't get to choose Epic for the organization. It's, it's our EMR platform. Um, it, there is a ton of investment that's been put into that product. Um, what I think we have to do in our space is say, okay, that is the tool. We shouldn't be trying to bring in a hundred other vendors that are trying to upend it or trying to work around it. Mm-hmm. Um, we should be trying to leverage it to its absolute best capabilities And you know, in some cases, that might not be the best patient experience. um, But we should be trying to push it up, and not try to circumvent it because it's not going to go away. For instance, in our organization, we are an Epic shop, Um, and so you know, trying to create something around that isn't—it's—it's a waste of resources. Um, There's enough. There are enough other projects to focus on that we could put time and effort into, um, rather than fighting that that. Product or that right? One. Yeah,
1: and another big one too is what online appointment scheduling. Sure, right? Because I mean, I think that's something that a lot of organizations are looking at, and there's a lot of outsider organizations that are coming into the yeah. space trying to provide that. But there's the, the, that has inherent challenges too, right? Mm, good luck. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so yeah. Uh, we rely on our call center
4: quite a bit. We do have some um, kind of uh, specialized services mm-hmm. as well um, that can um, guide people through the system. Um, you know, but it took a long time to communicate inside the organization that it's not just about putting a button and now you get online appointments or a form. It's actually about the first human touch point and how are you helping people to, to come here to get that appointment with the right doctor. Um, and in some ways, that's made our job easier. In fact, a lot of these technologies, if I could go back to that Epic for a second, in our know, content strategy... Having the Epic team begin to really take ownership of a patient education strategy versus a consumer strategy, right? And have it, and then going back to the call center, having them own that process of bringing in a patient versus my team having to do that. So I'm at the table, but there's less
3: stress on my team to solve that problem. We're contributors. Mm-hmm. I did, yeah, but I do think Brian makes a good point. Yeah, we're in the similar situation. Epic is our EMR, and you know my chart is one tiny piece of that. Um, so it's not going away. And we, you know, I think it has been very valuable to work closely with that team, build that relationship, to be able to bring usability testing to the table um, to try and make our decisions about optimization and customization better. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and really prop that up and be cognizant of that when people approach us with online scheduling solutions mm-hmm. knowing that ultimately we want to make sure that we're offering patients a good experience but we want to make sure that uh, operationally we aren't creating a headache and extra workload um, trying to shoehorn something in that isn't uh, Epic or integrated with Epic
1: Right, right and so now suddenly as, as marketers we're, we're spending time with Patient access. We're spending time with with the digital, the, the patient experience teams. We're spending time in the clinical workflows, and then suddenly, digital marketing becomes so much more than just that, right? So, do you think that it's 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 appropriate for us to maybe keep calling ourselves digital marketers, or
2: what are your thoughts? I, I think it's appropriate in that I can't come up with a better
3: <laughs> name. Um,
2: you know, it, just the term digital yeah. is is you know, a a challenge because it means so many different things to so many people. I was joking the other day, you know, if you have digital in your title and you show up to a meeting and the projector doesn't work, they're like, Oh, you can can fix that, you know? And, um, and and so it's, it's really hard when, when you use that, that, that title. Um, And, but, but the fact is going back to, to um, Matt's earlier point, you know, we, we are, as marketers, we tend to be interfacing with these new technologies and these new innovations um, from a consumer experience standpoint sooner than other parts of our organization. Mm -hmm. And so we do have a voice. We do have uh, um, the ability to share our our thoughts and our guidance on on those issues. So we have to be at the table. I just don't know what what the under what title it is <laughs> yeah
3: yeah well, I think it's a good question because I, I mean I really think of my team more as patient acquisition and retention um, and a lot of that today involves things that are not sexy you know directory management it ain't sexy yeah. data governance data integrity not sexy but really I think vital to to us being able to deliver the experience that patients expect All right well we were talking about this at dinner
1: last night right that- What you're doing is you're designing an infrastructure to help support that experience, and any good design is 99% visible, right, And that all that stuff that you're doing is important to the experience, but no one really sees that. When they think digital, they think pretty websites and, you know, cool ads, digital ads, and videos.
2: Well, and, and to that point, if you think about content marketing, Everyone thinks about the content and what's being written and, and the visual of that content, but without the markup behind it Mm -hmm. and without a strong technical architecture, no one's ever going to see it. And so, you know, a content marketer can also be a developer. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and, you know, we have to, I think we have to think about content marketing in a, in a broader way, um, digital marketing, you know, what whatever well, you want to call it. But, all but yeah, but these are these are skills that fall into that into that bucket, I think. Yeah. I sure. think that's an exceptional point
3: because you know we we have experienced firsthand how technology decisions, decisions on how the site is coded, have adversely impacted our content marketing and our search optimization and uh, have spent, you know, twelve months recovering from some questionable mm. decisions. Wow. Uh Seeing thankfully the positive results of doing that, but but yeah, yeah absolutely. You, you need to be aware of all of that in our roles.
1: Yeah, Aaron, do you have any thoughts on that?
4: So I I feel like I'm focused on limiting my role as much as I can. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, I want to be at the table. Yeah, I want to be clearly, like, all right, I can, Yeah, I have data and I have thoughts to share, and there's things we're seeing, but I don't necessarily want to be viewed as responsible for all aspects, right? right? Um, You know, it's I mean, thinking about markup specifically, you know, I feel one, our team's gone through a growth period and how we're adapting um, to schema and and that kind of thing um, and improving. Um, At the same time, we do support sites that are off-platform and the faculty want to do that because they look cool and they can publish really quickly and It's often research content that doesn't really fit, Mm -hmm. Um, but we found that with a little bit of content and good markup and, you know, good SEO techniques, we can offer a little bit of content about research that connects people out to those sites, and again, we're seen as valuable um, within the institution. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's a case where, yeah, I'm trying to limit my role, whereas, you know, our, our executives were telling us we want every website on hopkinsmedicine.org, and I'm looking at hundreds of them saying I can't do it, but could I create a good um, user experience around what's out there um, and what would my role in that be? So. That's,
1: that's a really good point. Hey, we want to take a moment to thank one of our sponsors, and that's our good friends at Binary Fountain. You know, as a healthcare marketer, it's probably pretty obvious these
0: days how much time you're spending Uh, on reviews, ratings, relative to hospitals, physicians, all that kind of good stuff. You know, too many of those are going unanswered, and they're
1: certainly not being analyzed. This could be costing us new and current customers. It could be impacting our patient experience scores and potentially impacting our revenue. Luckily, our good friends at Binary Fountain have an online reputation management platform called Binary Health Analytics. If you'd like to learn more or even schedule a demo, visit them
0: online at BinaryFountain.com. That's BinaryFountain.com.
1: Clearly our role is hard. It's expanding, ever expanding, and yet, to your point, we need to limit and focus on those areas that are going to get the most significant results. So one of the things, though, we, we propose this or we pitch this as being a thought leader panel. So we've been talking a lot about the current state. Why don't one, the other half of this conversation? I think we'd like to talk about like, what do we see as sort of like things in the future? So, what are those things as thought leaders that we see are going to be potentially impacting us? And we may have talked about a few of them, you know, through this whole week, or maybe not, right? But um, so, one of the things that, that you know, uh, in healthcare that we always kind of abut against, and I think, Matt, when you're you describing your role as being a patient acquisition person, it, it kind of clarifies exactly what that role is in the experience but it's this whole concept of how do we balance between regulation versus innovation, right? We're a highly regulated industry. We got HIPAA, we got cybersecurity issues. We got a lot of things that are in our space. I would, and yet we have users that are out there willing to make appointments over Twitter if we could give it to them, right? Which we can't do. So let's talk a little bit about that. How do, how do we create an environment um, that allows us to innovate while still having to deal with all this regulation.
3: Who wants to jump in first? I'm gonna let Matt or Aaron jump in. I'm yeah. let <laughs> in. <laughs> yeah, it is challenging. You hit one of my frustration points. Um, you know, clearly you go to the airport, and you know if your gate changes. Um, you're selecting your seat. You're doing all this through your app, so that's the experience that we all have come to expect. Um, yet, with uh, you know online appointments, I can get a generic tickler that says you have a chart message that could be, I have a test result showing I have cancer, it could be I've got an appointment coming up, it could be I've got a questionnaire to fill out, a bill to pay, who knows? Um, so uh, the, the inability to uh, be more specific is frustrating to me. At the same time, uh, we do have a responsibility to protect patient privacy and to protect the information and something like the Equifax breach announcement yesterday kind of drives home the importance of that. Um, so we we have a lot of consultation um, with with legal, uh, with compliance, you know, and not in kind of vague scenarios, but specifically I'd like to do this, what are the concerns, how do we avoid those concerns? Um, and then I think my role, our role is to push innovation as far as we can, knowing that there are going to be those walls that we have to live within. Um, It's also shown up in how we select vendors. Our our security requirements are such that now we can't partner with someone who's going to accept data from us unless they have a SOC 2 type 2 certification. Uh, And a lot of smaller vendors, that's a pretty significant investment. So uh, we find there are people we can't work with because they can't meet our security requirements. And that's frustrating to me. At the same time, I understand that because we have people whose job it is is to protect that patient information. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. So I think about this from, um, again, a foundational standpoint. Um, wanting to always push that envelope, but sometimes you know not being able to um, because <laughs> of those limitations. But making sure that we're flexible enough and prepared so that when the opportunities come, we can pivot quickly. Um, And I think that's built on best practice and and solid technology foundation, right? Um, And so, you know, you've already seen, I mean, patients controlling their data, patients wanting access to data. That has shifted dramatically in the last 10 years, right? And so... Um, you know, there's, there's changes to meaningful use coming up in the next year. And, you know, as those things progress and consumers are more comfortable in the space, they're going to demand those changes. And so it'll either happen through legislation or it'll happen through outside um, parties, outside of healthcare pushing that envelope. And when that happens, there'll be a tipping point. We need to be ready to pivot. Um, and if we try, if we stay too far in the back, um, and we don't have flexibility built into our systems. We're not going to be able to take advantage of it. Right. Yeah. So we can't. We can't use that excuse of healthcare is ten years behind everybody else. I, I think that.
1: Yeah. I don't think that's particularly in digital. Is that right? Do you agree, Aaron? I totally agree, and I. I would
4: say I share your frustration. I think yeah. it's very hard for us to pivot quickly um, on any of these kinds of innovative efforts. Mm-hmm. Um, at the same time, I think a positive of it. I, like, our organization has become much more focused on security, much more understanding that they need to create these opportunities and they've become responsive to to people like me and others in the institution who you know they've had to partner with over the last uh, years to understand the technologies and for our legal team to grow, to to have the expertise to um, support us in this. Um, You know, I think if I we're critical, of, I don't want to be critical of my organization, but it's just, it's our speed at doing it. It's the process that we go through to vet vendors. It's the amount of resources we have
2: to pivot quickly. It's, that, that's still our biggest challenge. Still moving the big. Yeah. yeah. We've, we've run into the same issue where, you know, some of the, the vendor process is aligned more with a kind of an older IT model um, where time is not, critical, yeah. um, where in the marketing side of the technology equation, it's, it's, you know, if you miss that moment, you can really, yeah. you know, get set back. So um, trying, to, trying to get them to think differently a little bit um, on, on, the, on the vendor side is, I think, a huge challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, there's, there's always ways around mm-hmm. things. So yeah. Right. And consumers
1: and patients, right, their, right. their expectations have already changed. Absolutely, and they're out there now using a variety of different w- ways to get out there. So maybe we can talk a little bit about your favorite topic, Brian. New technology, right? Okay. I say that because because you know it seems like whenever we, we talk at a digital conference or it's always about what's the new widget, what's the new thing. And what do we what do we hear a lot about this week, right? What are the big new technologies that you're hearing about? I think all of us voice recognition, voice, right? voice. I heard it how many times? today? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Artificial intelligence, perhaps. You know, AI. Um, even virtual reality we were talking about that yesterday so let's talk a little bit about like some of this you know these new technologies how do we how do we respond to that because you know that inevitably we're gonna have that one you know orthopedic surgeon coming in saying I have just got an Amazon echo I want to be on that now so how can I do that you know um, how do we how do we start to assess and, and, and approach that
2: Brian looks like he'd like to go first. (laughs) So so when I think about voice technology, Mm -hmm. again, I go back to the the framework and the foundation of of the content. I I think there's always going to be the kind of the shiny object stuff, you know, where somebody does something really cool, um, and everyone's like, ooh, we should do that. But then, you know, I think, I I believe the way voice is going to kind of, take over is just through kind of the way it's naturally progressing where people are getting more comfortable talking to their phones and you know you can't overnight transform you know a million websites into some other structure so if your content is built in a way that other outside technology can can view it and understand it um, you're probably going to be well positioned to take advantage of, of that next wave so you know Search, uh, Text search has already moved to a more conversational tone. And I think that's just transitioning into the voice space. So our content has to align with what people are most naturally looking for. Um, and then I think we'll be in that space. Right.
3: Yeah. yeah, I think there have been some good discussions today about just that. And, uh, you know, I, I feel like traditionally... Our, our websites have been viewed as kind of our, the center of our universe and everything revolves around it and, and I think we are really entering a time when that's not the case anymore. Um, I'd almost say that Google is the center of the universe um, and you have your content appearing on platforms other than your own owned platform and making sure that you are creating content that is appropriate, that uh, is structured appropriately, that's, that's written the right way. I mean, I'm assuming that a thousand word article on a topic is not gonna translate very well to Alexa. Um, so kind of uh, not just the tone, but the length of what you're writing, um, how you're encapsulating ideas. I think all that's important um, and really considering what is that broad digital ecosystem, not just how does this appear on my site. Well,
1: and, you know, and there's new technologies that get introduced all the time that we're not really sure the longevity of them. I mean, we probably, if we were doing this conference, what, two years ago, we'd be talking about Snapchat. Like, well, Snapchat's the newest, you know... Yeah, I just downloaded that yesterday. You that. just downloaded it. <laughs> but, I mean, I, and, you know, Snapchat itself is struggling because now we have, you know, the big... Oh, here we go. He's getting snapped. Um, we have the big player. Facebook came in, purchased Instagram, and it basically is... Deciding that to be a, a killer, the a Snapchat killer. So, you know, how do we start to assess these new technologies and, and understand the longevity of those? What about, you know, <laughs> we've heard about piloting things. How do you guys go about doing that? Piloting new technologies, new approaches, new platforms? Yes. Yes. Aaron has something Yeah.
4: Um, so we try and pick our opportunities. Um, and we try and get the organization to move as quickly as we can to help us do that. Um, I mean, there's some that I look at, like um, you know, voice recognition is, an exa- is one. It's like, all right, that's I can't miss. You know, like right. clearly, that is. It's just like the internet is. It used to be the internet in real life, and now it's all intertwined. And voice recognition is going to be completely intertwined with our lives in a way that we just have to keep researching it and piloting things. um and I think in these early stages, I think you know, Brian really illustrated well. And um, the gentleman from your team who gave the SEO presentation today did a great job at talking about just shifting to shifting your language, right? And it's not just about your SEO strategy and how do you get um, get that to relate to you know voice recognition and the answer box that ultimately becomes voice recognition. It's, it's how do you change the tone of it so that you'll be there a year from now, and right. it's. Yeah. progress yeah. leaps and bounds so I look for the foundational stuff before I look at the channels and the
3: technologies. Mm-hmm. Even before, before piloting too you know uh, my team we get together for an off-site two to four times a year and, and part of that's to, to look back and part of that's to plan the near term but a portion of that is, is really to start to think about and keep track of new trends so it may not even evolve into a pilot yet but, you know, voice is one of those where, okay, this is, this is picking up steam. This is coming quickly. Not sure exactly how this impacts us yet, but everybody, let's start thinking about that. And, yeah, you know, I bought a Google device so we could have that in the office um, and start to interact with it and, and be thinking about what does this mean? What does this mean for patients? Um, how realistically can we bring something to market that would address a patient
2: need? Uh, I, I totally agree, and, and it's about appropriateness, right? And so we did the same thing. We got an Alexa, we have, a, we have a Google device, and and we were like, we need to have a we need to have a skill, right? And we went back and forth on three or four different ideas, and we were, and what we finally came to the conclusion is we're not ready for a skill. Like there's there's not a problem that we really need to solve that I think would work well in the Alexa space, and maybe I'm. Completely off base there, but for us, it just didn't seem like the right moment for our team to, to put those resources in, um, into play. And you know, if somebody else leads us to that, that's that's okay. Um, but we really want to be thoughtful about jumping in and not just doing it because it's it's the shiny object, right? Um, and, and then I think the other thing that's we I think we forget that we have kind of an advantage of we have these massive websites. And we all know that there's certain parts of our websites that get zero traffic and there's other parts that get a ton. And so you don't have to put that new thing front and center. Right. You can bury it down a few levels, collect some data, collect some usage, you know, um, data on it, and, and then go from there. And you can always kill it off without anyone really knowing it was even there in the first place. So that's, Google does that all the time. <laughs> it's... it's it's a great way to do it. Know.
1: That's true. That's true. And, you know, if you do have that infrastructure to support it, like some organizations, I know hospitals, they do publish, like, regular daily audio briefs. And so that's an easy way to do an Alexa skill because they already have the infrastructure to support yeah. that. But building, you know, spending time to dedicate just to see if this will work doesn't really make sense, particularly for our customer. <laughs> Journey mapping doesn't really indicate that that would be a skill that, or that, would, or a technology that they could be using. So it's interesting. I always, you know, I, Snapchat's a great example of one where two years ago people were saying it's a great way to reach the millennial audience. Well, you know, no it isn't. It's not the great way to reach it. So, um, let's, but the other thing too is like these other platforms. Now, we talk a lot about our websites because we own that content. But Quite frankly, social media is a big part of our content strategy, and now we're looking at these other these other areas, these other platforms that we're. I've heard uh, earlier you were on a session that was paid, earned, and owned, and really I've heard of like social media as being leased because, quite frankly, we're just taking up space on someone else's property. And recently, Facebook has made some significant changes to their platform. How do we how do we you know what how, how do we deal with that? You know, looking at. Suddenly, you, you know, maybe you're doing something really cool on Facebook, and now they take away all the organic search and have you pay for it. What are your thoughts, Matt?
3: Ah, oh, my. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, that's just part of our lives. The rules change on a whim. Yeah, um, and as I think Nate pointed out, Nate pointed out, Google, particularly on mobile, you're seeing the the paid kind of in an elevated position, and the organic starting to be more hidden. Um, particularly for those broad terms, um, and you just have to deal with it. I mean, I kind of I kind of view it as there is certain information that's going to be out there regardless of whether we do anything, and it may or may not be correct, and that's kind of the directory management stuff. Who are your doctors? Where are your clinics? What's the contact information? And, and I feel like there's a lot of value and we invest uh, a considerable amount of time in managing that on as many of the most popular platforms as we can, because I think it's... Um, I mean, it's patient safety to some degree to have consistent, accurate information across all these platforms. Um, so, so that's one aspect, and then how we use things like Facebook, Google, and those other platforms, we, we roll with it, and if it moves more toward a pay-to-play um, scenario, then, uh, then it becomes a budgeting and an ROI decision for us, uh, quite honestly. Um, and, and we shift so yeah, I'm sure many of us have had the experience where you know, Facebook for, for years it was build up that audience, get your likes and then overnight it was suddenly you're only going to reach 3% of those people um, so we, we for our goals don't invest a lot of time in organic Facebook um, and have shifted to how do we best leverage paid advertising on that platform, uh, particularly in a new movers um, environment any last parting words? No. Oh
1: no. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, thank you all. all Outside, yeah. um, thank you, thanks
0: you guys. All right, man. Wow, that was. Uh That was great. Lots and lots of great content. Look forward to hearing everybody's feedback. I would love to know what you think. And then obviously we can, uh, uh, certainly in the show notes, we'll have ways for you guys, uh, if you'd like to connect with uh, Matt, Aaron, or Brian on how to do that. Coming up, we'll talk about that in just a minute, what we've got coming down
1: the pipe. But first, uh, let's do recommendations. Chris, what do you got? Well, I'm going to make a related recommendation. We mentioned him at the top of the show. That is uh, Joe Polizzi. Joe Polizzi actually does yes. a great podcast that I listen to. It's called the This Old Marketing Podcast. <laughs> it's a podcast about content marketing, and he does it along with Robert Rose. Really fun, interesting weekly podcast. Now, I'm only going to recommend it if people promise us to keep listening to our podcast. <laughs> You got to promise me that you, when you listen to it, you don't stop listening to ours. No, it's actually a really great podcast and they cover a lot of great topics. They talk about all the challenges of content marketing. It's really good. Give it a listen. Very cool, and we will know if you drop off and quit listening. So um, (laughs) yes, just keep that in mind.
0: Just (laughs) keep that in mind. I'm gonna recommend, uh, as everyone knows, I like gadgets and uh, things like that, and I I really like watches uh, quite a bit. Was looking for a watch that I could wear uh, when I swim or I'm outside, you know, working and, and doing different stuff or you know, building. Furniture, doing the leather stuff, I like to do, um, and I can't do that with like my Apple Watch, for example. Um, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to tear it up or or whatever. So, needed something that was uh, cost effective, uh, but looked cool still, and uh, was useful and durable and things like that. Anyway, came across the uh, Timex Expedition. So it's a, it's an analog watch. Uh, it looks very much like kind of an outdoor. Uh, hiking, uh, you know, type watch. And, uh, it's only 32 bucks. Really cool. Waterproof, all that kind of good stuff. Great reviews on Amazon. Yeah, that's what I'm recommending—the Timex cool. Expedition. Cool. So you haven't bought it yet. This is, uh, yeah, I think this is the one. This is the one I've narrowed in on. I've looked at a lot of different ones. So I've done your due diligence for you. <laughs> uh, there are some other models out there,
1: yes, and uh, but this is the one, no frills. Uh, this is the one you want. Great, that's a good one. We'll link to it in the show notes. So we'll link to both uh, both of our recommendations, Reed. Before we close out the show, why don't we talk a little bit about what our next big thing is?
0: Yes. October, the 23rd through the 25th, uh, we will be at the Healthcare Internet Conference right here in Great Austin, Texas. And uh, Touchpoint, the podcast, will be uh, recording on that Tuesday afternoon. Uh, So look for more information on that, but be sure to make your way over to hcic.net. Be sure to get registered for that conference and uh, let us
1: know that you're coming. Yeah, we'd love to see you there. And let us know if you might be interested in being a guest on our live recording of the podcast. I'm looking forward to it, Reed. We did this once before at the, at the forum. It's a little bit different than the panel session that we had uh, that you just heard. But this is going to be a good one. We want some interactivity. We're going to make sure that the audience can interact. Come sit in, watch us. It'll be great. There you go. Well, he is Chris Boyer. I'm Reed Smith. Uh,
3: today was uh, a lot of fun. And we will see you next week.